This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 14th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. New data from the FBI indicates that homegrown terrorists pose a relatively more significant threat than foreign-born terrorists. But what's the appropriate law enforcement response to that information? Patrick Eddington is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. We spoke this week. The Washington Post reviewed information from the FBI, to uh, which is basically counting up uh, arrests for uh, terrorism or what what were believed to be terrorism, uh, breaking them up by domestic and foreign. And according to that data, the people who were uh, most likely to be arrested were domestic, outpacing those uh, who were inspired by some uh, foreign idea. And so if you're a DC insider, if you're a sort of a standard operator in Washington, DC, your conclusion might be, well, we just need to create a new list for these people and define relatively more people as terrorists. There must be lists. They're, so they're... so what do we what do we know about you know, obviously this is not doesn't go through details of the arrests, so we don't necessarily know how many of these are bona fide terrorism that's our first red flag yeah so what what do we what do we know about it at this point what we know is that the fbi handed over this data to the washington post and the post elected to write a story on the basis of that data um, what we do find out from the story is that uh, one particular individual um, who the fbi originally claimed to the judge was absolutely uh, a bona fide terrorist threat they got him in a sting in which he went out and bought some bomb components, but the but the bureau agent undercover somehow handily provided the rest of the material necessary for this alleged plot. Uh, but even after the sting, they let the guy walk the street for two months. And so the magistrate judge was like, uh, this guy is like such a threat. Why did you guys let him walk around? So th- to me, this gets back to the whole issue of how much of this comes down to the bureau essentially padding stats, you know, trying to essentially uh, hype the threat, if you will. And so much of this comes down to essentially a numbers game, right? So two years ago or so, the Government Accountability Office put out a report that kind of highlighted this issue. And, and they basically found that of the 85 violent extremist incidents that resulted in deaths in September the 12th of 2001, Far right-wing extremist groups were responsible for 62, a 73% uh, figure, while radical Islamist violent extremists were responsible for 23. Now, when that report came out, it just caused all kinds of furor among those who believe that the Salafist terrorist threat uh, is the one that we need to be concerned about. If you turn around and you actually go back to 9-11 and you were to work in the casualty figures from there, then of course that automatically skews it you know, in the direction of the Salafist being a bigger terrorist threat. Go back 30 years prior to that, then you have to factor in Oklahoma City, a bunch of other white supremacist terror, and, and, it, and it swings back. So it, it ultimately becomes a numbers game, and I think it comes down to essentially folks on, on one particular side of the issue trying to use the numbers to justify whatever government program it is that they want to see move forward. Yeah. What kind of intervention here? Mm-hmm. Uh, who who are the bad guys, right. essentially? Right. And so uh, <clears throat> in the history of, to use the term that has been thrown around a lot, countering violent extremism, mm-hmm. there's, as you alluded to, there are a lot of cases 
where the FBI, I guess in a sense, puts a puts a box with a red button in front of a guy mm-hmm. and says, you press this button and it's going to kill a bunch of the people you don't like. Yeah. And they push the button, nothing happens. They're like, all right, we got you yeah. now, you terrorist. Yeah, exactly. And in some case, you know, the, these folks, you know, might have been on the pathway uh, to extremism, but the FBI's own, own internal studies and uh, studies done by Britain's MI5, their security service, have shown that there is no profile that will tell you who will become the next Muhammad Atta. I mean, it just, it simply doesn't exist. They've been searching for that, you know, for decades. And there is no actual set of indicators that will tell you whether or not somebody is actually going to go off the deep end and, and go out and murder other human beings. So I think what we have to guard against here is this impulse to try to basically import an already really problematic uh, international terrorism framework into a domestic environment. Because then, you know, we, I think we get a return to what we had during most of the 20th century, particularly when J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the FBI, which is everybody's a subversive. You know, everybody is a potential communist. Everybody is a potential red. Everybody is a potential Nazi and, and just on and on and on. And I think that's the thing that we have to guard against. Um, you know, there's a, an unfortunate and longstanding authoritarian streak that runs through the American uh, political experience and American political consciousness. And it's, it's folks that have that kind of authoritarian mindset, in my judgment, that are really behind hyping an awful lot of this stuff. It's about threat inflation at the end of the day. Because your actual chances of being killed by a terrorist, uh, as our colleague Alex Naraste has noted, can be measured in the one in several hundred million uh, to maybe one in one billion chance. So you've got a much higher likelihood of being killed in a run-of-the-mill homicide, vastly greater chances. I mean, Alex is estimated between 50 to 80,000 times more likely than being killed by a terrorist. So we have to put these things in perspective. But, you know, I mean, television networks, they get ratings out of this. Folks at university so-called countering violent extremism centers, they get government money out of this. It's a cottage industry. I was about to say the incentives here uh, for the feds would seem to be clear. Uh, That is, if you can spend a lot of your budget uh, catching a guy who, uh, you know, is working with the FBI actively Mm -hmm. to blow up uh, a, you know, a synagogue or something like that. And uh, of course, they're in control the whole time. They arrest him. They get these great, fantastic headlines. Uh, So that seems clear. What are the incentives for uh, law enforcement at the state and local level? Money. Money? Absolutely. Money through the COPS program, money through burn JAG grants, um, the ability to get equipment on loan from the FBI, things like stingrays or uh, cell site simulators, uh, as they're more commonly known. And these are devices that will simulate a cell tower, pass data through that fake cell tower for the collection for some authority. Yes, exactly. So there, there's a lot of incentive essentially that's built into the system uh, with respect to threat inflation and, and all the rest of that. And of course, it's led to a massive distortion uh, of our foreign policy, certainly of our budgetary policy, the amount of money that we have spent on the so-called war on terror, uh, the number of Americans uh, in uniform who have been killed needlessly uh, in these foreign excursions. So the, the cost of this you know, really can be measured in blood, but it's usually not on the streets of America. It's usually Americans dying overseas on the basis of a bogus idea. So uh, for people who care about making sure that to the extent we're looking for needles in a haystack, that we're not just 
throwing a bunch of hay away and uh, treating people uh, as if they're terrorists when they are not. Uh, you know, what are the costs of that? Of too many innocent people uh, being locked up or uh, being captured. Well, you you don't just have that as a cost. Uh, innocent people being ensnared, um, folks getting their uh, names put on a TSA or other watch list, and basically prevented from traveling, potentially being separated from families. The the big cost comes in actually missing the real threats and not being focused on the real threats. So they go and they get uh, a, a guy like this uh, Ahmad guy in in uh, Las Vegas who they helped helped build the bomb, but they miss a Pulse nightclub shooter. They miss an Orlando nightclub shooter, or in the case of nine eleven, they miss an entire you know international uh, plot, even though the evidence was always there. And, and so that's why any of these kinds of, of programs that essentially treat entire groups of human beings as potential suspects, rather than focusing the intelligence collection efforts on those who really are genuinely a threat. Uh, it's a mistake and it's been a mistake for decades. Why was this data published? I mean, I, when I read the story in the Washington post, I thought, Oh, wow. The Washington post, uh, got some data, but this was, it appears to be handed over by the FBI. It's, it's not something that a source provided to the FBI. So in Capitol Hill terms right now, we are in the heart of the appropriations season. This is the time when the different subcommittees are actually doing their markups for things like the Justice Department and deciding how much money is going to be allocated for things like counterterrorism. So a story like this, you know, clearly serves the FBI's purpose in terms of uh, to borrow a line from the movie V for Vendetta, this is why they need us. Uh, and that's exactly what's going on here. There's just no question about it. I don't want to I don't want to try to give the impression that terrorism isn't a threat, that it isn't a problem. It is. But we have to remember that the amount of television coverage that is devoted to this creates what we would call uh, in in academic lingo essentially an availability bias. It leads people to believe, ultimately misleads people to believe that the problem is actually much more pervasive than it truly is. And I will tell you that every day that I get up and I, I go downtown to DC, I am much more concerned about being shot and wounded or killed by a, by a police officer than I am any terrorist. And if you actually look at the stats that are available on that, uh, you will find that far more people are shot and wounded or killed by police in this country on a year-to-year -year basis than they are by any terrorist on an average basis. So we need to keep these things to perspective. We need to remember that um, that the threat, while it's there, uh, is, is minuscule compared to the other threats that we should actually be concerned about in life. Patrick Eddington is a policy analyst in civil liberties and homeland security at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.